Peace be upon you. Islam is often seen as an extreme and intolerant religion, but we've been getting a rather different view from Dr. Abdul Haq Compier. If you watch our last video, you'll be able to see his, um, his journey into Islam. But what we want to talk about in this video is how Islam gave you a new appreciation for your country. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Salam alaikum. Welcome, sir. Um, yes, after I, before I was Muslim, I, I was I grew up in uh, in in a culture where nationalism was uh, not appreciated. Hmm. So this naturally meant that you would not consciously feel a lot of love for your country. Hmm. I think this is quite specific for the Netherlands, actually. Hmm. And um, anyway, so after I became Muslim, I because Islam teaches you to uh, love many things, like love your fellow beings, mm. uh, but also love your country. Mm. And uh, this really also developed in me that I started loving my country more. Mm. When this happened, I also uh, developed uh, sympathy for the founding father of the Netherlands, yeah. uh, obviously, because, you know, when you love your country, you have to love the founding person, probably. <laughs> And uh, it helps. <laughs> yeah. So and um, so I developed a sympathy for founding father as well. Who was? Who was uh, Prince William of Orange? Okay. And what was the kind of environment that he was uh, that he he was living in at the time? Yeah, that's very interesting because uh, this is uh, the sixteenth century, mm -hmm. and uh, this is uh, an era where the Catholic Empire was at its peak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the Nether Netherlands was a part of the Spanish Empire. All right, wow. And uh, the Prince William of Orange was working for the Spanish king as a governor of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And he had to uh, also uh, represent the religious ideas of uh, the Catholic king. Right. Hey. What was his struggle? Um, was it to do with the different sects that were emerging in Christianity and how he dealt with them, or was it something else? Yeah, so uh, in the 16th century, you also had the Protestant reformist movements in Christianity coming up, like the Calvinists and the Lutherans, mm. and uh, they were uh, speaking up more, and the Catholic king would persecute them. So Prince William of Orange would have to uh, comply with the persecution of his uh, fellow countrymen. Oh, I see. And uh, he would, his struggle was that this was something very horrible to do mm. for him, probably, uh, because people were literally burnt at the stake very often for having a different belief. Mm. Okay. And, and what caused you to develop sympathy for him in a way? Well, so uh, what's interesting about him is that uh, he he asked to for moderation of this persecution laws mm -hmm. uh, he asked for moderation to the uh, spanish king but uh, the spanish king wouldn't compromise and so then uh, william of orange became a leader of a revolt against the spanish empire mm -hmm. uh, oh, really where the uh, dutch uh, republic would become independent from spain well, so your nation was actually born out of a rejection of intolerance. Indeed, it's a very nice point. Okay, fine. So, how does that feed into your to your view on Islam, and what did that lead you to to do in terms of your research? Yeah. So, 
what's very interesting about William of Orange is that he was very outspoken about uh, his wish for universal uh, tolerance of religions. Uh, and this idea didn't exist in Europe at all. Okay. Mm. Uh, for So the Spanish Empire... So it didn't exist? No, it didn't exist. It was just uh, regarded as a folly. Okay. And uh, because Christianity would say that uh, only the true church would uh, lead to the to salvation. Yeah. And if you're not led to salvation, you are actually kind of a devil. Oh, okay. And uh, so the the task of the ruler of the country would be to cleanse his, the country of these evil, mm. uh, you know, people. Yeah. And these devils. And that is that was the reason for the persecution. So in a way, that's linked to the concept of original sin, isn't it? In a way, definitely. So it's it's very much linked to linked to Christianity, and um, because people are considered to be evil at baseline, and then they need salvation from their evil condition that they're born with uh, through the true church. Um, but that's not that's contrasted with Islam, I guess, isn't it? Which is that. Every person, according to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he said, every every child is born a Muslim, and the fitrat or the or the nature of Allah, um, and finds himself finds that child would, if left alone in a way, they would find themselves inclined to the right path naturally. Yes, but it is their parents who make them a Christian, a Jew, etc. Absolutely. So, so in the uh, world where William of Orange lived, uh, tolerance was just a non-existing idea. It was not possible, and. Uh, so it's very interesting that he would be so outspoken mm. about his uh, his support for a law that would uh, tolerate every religion. So I thought this was so fascinating about him and also quite sympathetic. Uh, but I also thought that it is very uh, unlikely that he would develop this idea all by himself. Mm. And uh, also I was I started to sense that there is a link with Islam, uh, although in, in our Dutch history lessons, we never get to, to be taught any link with the Muslim world. Mm. But I was sensing that uh, Islam is quite unique about uh, uh, tolerance of religions, mm. because a unique teaching of Islam is that all the religions come from the same God. Yeah. Okay. Which... Uh, means for Muslim rulers that they have to tolerate these religions because they come from God. Right. And no other religion has this concept. This is mm. only in Islam. That that you must believe. It's not an optional. It's a you must believe in all religions, major religions being from having a divine source, even if they've been interpolated and misinterpreted and misapplied, but they all have truth at their very origin. Right. Whereas the opposite is true in every other religion, actually. To be a Muslim, you have to believe in the divine origin of all religions. To be a Christian, you cannot believe in the divine origin of any other religion. You exactly. certainly can't believe in the divine origin of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as a prophet of God, I mean. Yes. So, yeah, so for Muslims, uh, somebody with another religion would have access to salvation, but in a more limited way or in a slower way. Mm. Uh, but it would not be a devil. Yeah, yeah, that has to be exterminated from the country. Yes, okay. So this is quite different from uh, the world of William of Orange. Mm. And so, how did William of Orange get this idea? 
that you can just tolerate every religion and it would not it would lead to prosperity instead of disaster mm. and um so i sensed this uh, that there would that there could be a link with islam so i started uh, searching for that and it culminated in this excellent paper that you've written i believe the, t- is the title let islam let the muslim be my uh, guide in outward things so let the Muslim be my master in outward things, references to Islam and the promotion of religious tolerance in Christian Europe, published at the uh, Al-Islam e-Gazette in 2010. Uh, so we'll put a link in the uh, description box below to that. Um, what did you find in your, in your research uh, about uh, how this developed, how tolerance developed in, in Europe itself? Yeah, so, um, so I think it's, it's good to, to stay with uh, William of Orange to, mm-hmm. to get the answer to that. Uh, actually, the story starts already from the first caliphs of uh, of the Muslim uh, world. Mm-hmm. So the first caliphs after Prophet Muhammad. And, and indeed, him. actually, with the Prophet Muhammad himself, perhaps. Yes, of, of course. Islam started with the Prophet Muhammad himself. Um, but you you could say uh, that it, it the um, the influence on Christianity might start from the oh, caliph, uh, maybe from the caliph Umar. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, right, because uh, the Caliph Umar conquered Jerusalem, yeah, and he was extremely um, sympathetic and uh, protective of the rights of the Christian inhabitants. Yeah, I've got two quotes here from your article. Actually, it's um, Umar went so far as to pray by the side of the road in order to prevent Muslims from erroneously turning the church where he visited into a mosque, out of a sentiment for their Caliph. Taxes were not to be collected harshly, and when the Muslims were unable to guarantee safety to the people, they returned the taxes. And then another quote, Sometime after taking the city, Omar, peace be, um, may Allah be pleased with him, invited the Jewish families to live, to, to, to live in the city once again. So Jews who had been expelled from Jerusalem, and he asked them to be brought back. Uh, Omar um, to himself took the initiative in the restoration of the Temple of Solomon, which was destroyed by the Romans and had been used by the Christians as a dump ever since. Yes. That's a very powerful symbolism there as well. It is an amazing story of the Caliph Umar in Jerusalem Mm. that I would also uh, recommend everybody to uh, read more about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but we can say that the influence of Islam in this uh, idea of tolerance started there because uh, already there the references start from Christians who say that who were amazed at the uh, at the governance of the Muslims. Mm. Uh, for example, the 12th century historian Michael the Syrian said that the Muslims did not did did not inquire about the profession of faith, nor did they persecute anybody because of his profession, as did the Greeks, which he found a heretical and wicked nation. The amazing thing about the Muslims was they didn't even ask what mm. your religion was. You were just a human being. With, mm. with the right to live and protection and everything. Mm. And um, anyway, so, so these references by Christians start here. The mm-hmm. Christians are uh, in, impressed by the tolerance of Muslims already at that time. Mm-hmm. But I will now uh, just jump to William of Orange again, just because of the, that the people can understand uh, the relation with the Muslim world more. The first references by Christians to the tolerance of Muslim rule uh, stems from the time of the Caliph Umar. Mm. But let's go uh, back to William of Orange 900 years later. Mm. Uh, 
to understand this uh, this uh, this uh, influence uh, uh, well. Uh, an interesting thing about this age is that the revolutionaries in Holland they used a phrase which is uh, very typical uh, for their um, for for their time, and uh, in which they said that they would rather be a subject to the Turk than subject to the Pope. Okay. And they would uh, chant this phrase even in in their uh, demonstrations <coughs> in Antwerp where they would destroy all the idols in the churches. They would be chanting this phrase. Oh, really? Wow. And uh, so when I was looking for a connection... So when they as Protestants would be destroying Catholic idols, basically, or Catholic statues, one would say. Yeah, so this is called the, uh, in Dutch it calls the Beeldenstorm, so the okay. storming the idols. Okay. And uh, <laughs> they would even chant this uh, phrase that they would rather be Turk than uh Than under Catholic. the Pope, yeah. Because the Netherlands was a, a colony of, uh, of Spain, Spain, Catholic Spain, right. at the time. Yeah, and so the people who wanted to become independent... The Protestants, who were also critical of the Catholic religious practice, yeah. they also wanted to be independent or to, wanted to be free to practice their religion. Mm. Anyway, so they would have this very mysterious uh, slogan. Mm. And of course, when I was looking for a connection between William of Orange and the Muslim world, this, of course, <laughs> uh, came to my attention. Yeah. And where a connection of the, with the Muslim world is mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, and so this was really a good uh, way to start this uh, understanding, this connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe also for our viewers. This phrase is quite well known, actually. So the, there are uh, like uh, medallions, silver medallions uh, in the shape of half moons. And the people would, uh, would carry that on their clothing. Wow. And they would sing this song that to put silver half moons on your sleeve, a rather Turk than Pope. Okay. I mean, it's that's a very serious thing, especially in 16th century Europe. Like, it's such a stark <laughs> statement. Even now, it would be. Yeah, it would be. It would be yeah, yeah. exceptional. Yeah, that would be something for Andrew Tate probably to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's at that level. It's kind of so stark. So they're really rejecting this kind of um, the persecutory nature of the Catholic Church, and but the way that they're doing that is saying, "I'd rather be basically under the Ottomans." So what was it about the Ottomans that they saw as so aspirational? Yeah, but wait a moment, because the, <laughs> the, um, the accepted uh, interpretation of this slogan uh, is not immediately as you are doing now, right. which is obvious, but, <laughs> but in the Dutch history class, you would not get this interpretation. You would just get the interpretation that the Protestants would rather... Uh, be dead or rather follow the devil than they would oh, follow okay. the Pope. Okay. Right. Which is a, such a, a prejudiced thing mm. to do, such this a, interpretation. Yeah, such a prejudiced interpretation of, the, of that statement. It is. Why not then say, better to be dead than to be under the Pope? Exactly. Why choose the Turk? So it, it, just, doesn't, uh, it, it just doesn't match, you know, it just doesn't feel good, this interpretation at all. And, you know, obviously for me, this was a, a very a good link with the Muslim world. But I had to, uh, to do some research to get the uh, uh, sources from that time yeah. where they would explain why the people would say this. Mm. 
but alhamdulillah after uh, I, I was able to find the references where they would explain that the protestants said this because they would have religious freedom in the ottoman empire so right, the, Turk, yeah. the turk actually means the sultan of the ottoman empire the ruler of the turks okay the great turk he was called mm. and uh, so the sources say that the Christ the protestant christians would say this thing th because they would have freedom of religion in the ottoman empire or under the rule of the turk mm. and not under the rule of the pope yeah and um, so this was a meaning and now it becomes very obvious to understand right mm. what happened uh, it's still of course when we don't think that there is any connection between europe and the ottoman empire it's still a very strange thing to say mm. and we often get in in our history classes that okay that's the muslim world over there yeah the western world is over here we have the renaissance and everything and they're doing their own thing yeah but this is obvious of course not how the historical re reality was yeah there exactly. was constant interaction yeah just as there is today yeah and there, there was so much uh there was at that time such a difference in in uh, the level of civilization where the muslim world was so powerful in everything yeah mm. uh, and it would be a constant military threat mm. uh, and there was just so much influence going on mm. so uh, it is not a strange thing that the protestants would have had an experience in the in the ottoman empire where they would get this in, in, that, in that regard, I want to quote something that you've written in this uh, paper. You say, The tolerance of the Ottomans provided a shelter for the emerging Protestant movements of Luther and Calvin. In 1548, the Catholic authorities requested the Sultan's representative in Hungary to either execute or drive out the Hungarian pastor, I won't get his name right, Imre Zigedi, because of his Protestant preaching. So there's a Hungarian pastor who's preaching a Protestant teaching. And the Catholic authorities want the Sultan's representative in Hungary because the the, the Ottomans had Hungary under their own rule. Yeah. Um, to actually drive him out or execute him. And the chief intendant of the Pasha of Buddha not only denied their request, so one of the Sultan's, you know, uh, governors, denied not only denied their request, but issued an edict of tolerance which said that, quote, Preachers of the faith invented by Luther should be allowed to preach the gospel everywhere to everybody, whoever wants to hear, freely and without fear, and that all Hungarians and Slavs who indeed wish to do so should be able to listen to and receive the word of God without any danger, because this is the true Christian faith and religion. So, I mean, that's quite an extraordinary statement, actually, uh, which very so much beautiful. supports what you've actually been outlining for us, I think. Yeah. So... You can see what's happening there that the Catholics were there first. Yeah. So the Catholics also had their uh, churches in the Ottoman Empire. Okay. And so it's not like they stopped the Catholics but permitted the Protestants. They actually permitted both. Yes. Uh, so um, <clears throat> so it's very interesting that the uh, Ottoman Sultan would be in military conflict with the uh, Catholic Empire, but he would still tolerate the Catholics to practice their religion in the Ottoman Empire. Right. But the Catholic priests would say we were here for <laughs> first yeah and when the protestants came they said uh, to the sultan that uh, no these are not uh, <laughs> we don't like these people we were here first you should throw them out yeah. wow 
<laughs> the Sultan said that, uh, look, you have freedom, they have freedom too. Wow. And that this is actually the true Christian faith. So he was actually teaching the Catholic authorities what Christianity was, that the true Christian faith is to be tolerant of others. Yeah, Jesus that teaching. might be an interpretation, yeah. or it could be that the Ottoman Sultan would be sympathetic to the Protestants because oh, they were okay. against idolatry. Ah, uh, okay, fine. And, and this is what I meant in the Word of God. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, fine. And even there is correspondence between the Ottoman Sultan and the uh, British uh, Queen, also in the same century, where uh, he would uh, express his sympathy for the Christians who would not uh, commit uh, idolatry. Okay. Anyway, so this might also be the reason why he says that this is true Christian faith. It might also have a different reason. Yes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but it is... Uh, but this is a, a nice example. Um, so this is uh, 16th century. Yeah. I just want to go back now in history uh, a few centuries uh, towards the 13th century, mm-hmm. just to show that this uh, phrase that the uh, Dutch uh, Protestants were using, that they would rather be subject to the Turk than subject to the Pope, mm-hmm. that this actually has a very long history. Oh, okay. And uh, so I just said that in our history classes, we should, we should not teach anymore that the Muslim world is there and we are here and there is no reason that they would say such a thing, mm-hmm. that, they would, that they would rather prefer to live under the Sultan. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing. But the second thing is that this uh, phrase also did, did not come out of nothing. Yeah. It has a very long history or, already for many centuries. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, and the most important uh, reference is this one, which goes back to the 13th century, um, where the Catholics, on the, way, on the way to Jerusalem, on their crusade, they would come, uh, they would uh, pass uh, Constantinople, mm. which is the Orthodox capital at the time, and they would just completely destroy the whole city. Mm. They would massacre all the uh, Orthodox Christians, uh, and they would uh, loot all their belongings, and they would destroy the buildings uh, on the way on the way to Jerusalem on the Crusade. Yes. So this happened in the uh, 13th century, and um, then there was apparently uh, somebody, uh, a, a Christian Orthodox uh, patriarch. Uh, who's uh, Michael III, and this is on page six of uh, my paper. And he said that, he said the following thing, uh, let the Muslim be my master in outward things, rather than the Latin, the Catholic, dominate me in matters of the spirit. For if I am subject to the Muslim, at least he will not force me to share his faith. But if I have to be under Frankish rule, and united with the Roman Church, I may have to separate separate myself from my God. Wow. Such pathos in that. Such kind of passion and feeling. Yeah. And it does so much justice to the Muslim rule, to that contrast with, the, with what Catholics were doing, whereas Muslims would just, if they conquered, mm. they would uh, also not be so... Uh, so brutal, mm. but they would also allow freedom of religion. Mm. 
and, and I think it's important for us to mention, although we were not going to be able to give a kind of lecture on this, but this, this, the reason why this is there is because it's from the Quran, it's an Islamic teaching, that there is no compulsion in religion. Often translated, there should be no compulsion in religion, or in matters of faith or beliefs. But actually, the kind of literal translation is just there is none. And I think it's yeah, yeah. hinting at the deeper truth that you cannot be compelled to believe something because if you're compelled, you don't really believe it. Mm. So it's recognizing the reality and deriving the social rule from that, which is that you should never try and force someone in faith. Because it's ineffectual. Yeah, it's, it's completely pointless. Yeah. And there are so many other references. You mentioned many of them in, the, in this paper as well that show that, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and Islam itself tells you to expect respect other people's beliefs so this is something from islam and that's why we find it predominating in muslim cultures obviously there are exceptions there are people who did become extreme and um especially more in recent times contradicted that but it still predominated throughout muslim history because it was real and it was there and it was noted as a characteristic by those who considered themselves the enemies of muslims hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it maybe is good to come back to these specific elements of Islam that would create this uh, atmosphere of tolerance or this uh, ideal of toler tolerance. But mm -hmm. I can say briefly now that, uh, uh, like you said, uh, there is the prohibition on compulsion in religion mm -hmm. in the Quran. This is one aspect. One other aspect is that what we talked before, yeah. that all the religions come from the same God mm -hmm. yeah. and they, they must be respected for this sake. Mm -hmm. uh, and a third one is, uh, I think, is that uh, Islam teaches that, ev that every human being has a, has a fitra, has a nature that has a connection to God. Mm. Yeah. Every human being has a sanctity in itself mm. uh, and should be uh, deemed, uh, you know, uh, how, how can you say? Sacred in its own right. In its own right. Mm. So here we can see that this phrase goes back uh, uh, like many centuries towards Constantinople, mm. where the Orthodox Christians would say exactly the same thing in reference to the Catholics mm -hmm. and would also prefer the Muslim to rule them mm -hmm. uh, over the Catholics. In 1451, the Ottomans uh, conquer Constantinople. Yeah. Allahu mm Akbar. -hmm. Yes. Uh, and uh, which is a beautiful story in itself. I visited it a few weeks ago. It is, uh, it is an amazing place to be. Yeah. Well, the Christians still haven't stopped crying about this. You know this. You they look online, not. all these Christian commenters on our YouTube channels all the time. Really? Just this. Yeah, yeah, there's loads of them. Well, it's a terrible, know. terrible loss for the Christian world. It's like, come on, guys, it's 600 years later, get over it. Okay, but we can now say to them, <laughs> we can say to these Christians that this is not a loss for them. Yes. This is their victory, because without the, the Muslims conquering Constantinople, there would be no Christianity left there. There mm. would be, maybe Catholicism would be left, yeah. but probably it would have destroyed itself because it was yeah. so evil. Yeah. So it would just have gone into something much worse. Mm -hmm. But because the Muslim conquered it, all the different Christian groups would, uh, were still able to thrive there. Wow, what an amazing thesis. So actually through Islam, actually, the different religions actually prospered. Yes, definitely. And this maybe also go back to the time of the first caliph because, uh, or to Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad because he said that the Muslims have to help the Christians restore their churches and repair yep. their churches. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but in a political sense, 
you can definitely make the argument that without Islam, Protestantism would have not existed. Well, because they they had they needed Islam to develop themselves. To go back to the uh, conquering of Constantinople in 1451, the government of Constantinople, Constantinople become anxious about the coming uh, uh, invasion of the Muslims. Mm-hmm. But there were uh, also parts of the government who actually preferred the Muslims to come. And they would also again say exactly the same thing as the Dutch would say a few centuries later. And this uh, patriarch in the 13th century would say, mm-hmm. uh, because this, this, um, this duke called Lucas Notaras said that he would prefer to see in Constantinople the turban of the Turk to the tiara of the Pope. The tiara is a crown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so this is almost exactly the same phrase yeah. Right? Yeah. as the Dutch would use a few centuries later. Yeah. So that's a point I want to make. This didn't come out of nothing. Mm. It was just, this is a, the classical Christian reference to the tolerance of the Muslim rule. Mm. Okay. Which shows that it wasn't a unique thing amongst the Muslims at the time of the Dutch Protestant movement. It was actually something that endured over centuries. Exactly. And it, and it carried on later. And this, the next example, one of the examples, you've given many examples in this paper, but you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how Islam says that every, every human is sacred and has a soul and is a creation of God and is not automatically sinful until it accepts salvation through Christ. But that kind of, um, that view extends to other beings as well. And you, you have this, uh, this wonderful quote. <laughs> Where you say that the um, Landry argues that the writings of the Busbeck on the Turks were widely re- widely read in the 17th to 18th century Britain, and are an example of the English fascination with Ottoman civilization. The English were jealous of the Turks' strange combination of self-esteem and love for minor creatures. When, for example, the plague broke out in Istanbul, and it was feared that dogs would spread the disease through the city. The Grand Mufti forbade the killing of the dogs, arguing that dogs also had souls. This was incomprehensible to Thomas Smith in the 1670s, who called this extravagant kindness barbaric. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a good point to make uh, and a good thing to mention that um, <clears throat> that shows the contrast between the Muslim world and the Catholic world or the Christian world, and but also the contrast between um, the contemporary society uh, and uh, or the view of, of Islam of contemporary society, nay, the view of tolerance of contemporary society and of the Christian society at the time, mm-hmm. because uh, the Christians would say that tolerance is actually a form of tyranny. Oh, really? Uh, because um, if you tolerate everything, maybe like the contemporary discussion if you tolerate everything everything goes out of hand mm-hmm. and this is a kind of tyranny to the pure uh, religion mm. so if you would tolerate different religions is a kind of t- tyranny on the country it's a tyranny on the true believers okay and on the soul of the people yeah and so um so the people in that time they would also say that uh, they would be very much annoyed at the uh, cooperation between the Protestants and the 
Ottomans. Yeah. Mm. And they would call tolerance. They would have a, a kind of a swear word for tolerance being Calfino Turkism. Okay. <laughs> it is, uh, I think we get what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they would. What are you, Turkish? <laughs> so if you would be tolerant you would be just like a turk yeah okay right and uh, so also this this person who you just uh, quoted mm -hmm. he thought that it was ridiculous not to respect the dogs in such a way that you would even risk the plague mm -hmm. uh, maybe the muslims knew that the dogs wouldn't spreading the plague yeah but yeah which they weren't which it, they were it, it was the rats yeah Maybe they knew, but anyway, it is not, it's a really great story that this Mufti made this mm. statement that he was, and it, it's also so, such a nice thing about historical research that we can see uh, such uh, differences in, in the time, right? That mm. this uh, Mufti would, uh, would say, don't kill the dogs. Yeah. Whereas now at, at this time, we would imagine mullahs and, and Muftis to be really cruel. Against dogs in particular. Against <laughs> Exactly. But this is the fun thing about historical research, right? So the Protestants wanted to become uh, independent from uh, the Catholic Spain. Mm -hmm. and, and every historian would say that the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. But it is so sad that... Uh, that in our history classes we are not taught this thing that uh, the protestant that the protestants must have thought of the ottomans as their friend even because it was the enemy of their enemy the mm. catholics mm. but it was also militarily it was also true that w the interesting thing that happened militarily was that uh, a friend of william of orange who was a jew he had to flee antwerp for the Spanish Inquisition, because he, he, he might have been burned at the stake. I see. Yeah. So he fled to Istanbul, mm -hmm. and there he created a connection between the Sultan and, the, and William of Orange. Between the Sultan, okay. Just after the, the Bale storm, the storm of the idols, the uh, Sultan sent a letter of support to the Dutch mm -hmm. for their cause of independence. Yeah. And this is never taught in our history classes but it is so important because it also explains why a small country like this would have the courage to stand up against uh, the spanish empire yeah. which was the second most powerful empire the first most powerful was the ottoman uh, right okay <laughs> and so the most powerful empire the ottomans they showed their support for the small uh, right. protestant movement of independence uh, and this, of course, gave courage to the Dutch to take up this uh, yes. fight against Spain. And uh, even there was uh, some cooperation militarily established because uh, some secret agents went back and forth between Netherlands and, uh, and the Sultan. And they created this uh, plan to uh, attack at uh, different fronts at the same time. So wow. they, they, the Sultan said, okay, I will attack the Spanish in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. he, he attacked Tunis. And the, at the same time, the Dutch would attack a city, Leiden, actually. Okay. They would attack the city of Leiden uh, so that the Spanish would be panicking 
to on on different fronts. Actually, they they also tried to have the uh, Moriscos, which were the the Muslims that had been forcibly converted in Spain to revolt at the same time. Oh, okay. Um, I think that this didn't happen, but the two attacks did happen, mm-hmm. uh, and they were also successful. And the fun thing is that these uh, Dutch uh, revolutionaries, they uh, they came in to Leiden in their ships, and their ships had Ottoman flags. Oh, right. And they were even wearing mustaches to fool the Spanish <laughs> that they were Turks. <laughs> so isn't this an amazing and fun connection? <laughs> yeah. You know, that it is such a beautiful story. And... Uh, I mean, it's remarkable for so many reasons, but it sounds really like, firstly, the idea that when they said rather be under the Turk than the Pope, the idea that that wasn't related to the Ottomans is obviously absurd from what you're saying. Obviously, absolutely out of the question. But also, it sounds like the Netherlands itself owes its existence towards the help and support of the major Muslim empire at the time. At least they, they owed the, their self-confidence yeah. in the revolution to it. Yeah. And uh, one of the victories, the victory of Leiden, was uh, definitely a cooperation with the Turks. Yeah. And, and I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm not a historian on this, you are, but I, I feel like um, there can't have been that much um, to gain, in a way, from the Ottoman side. It seems like there were some sincere feelings towards the Protestants um, uh, for the Ottomans to support them to this degree. And maybe that was religious out of, well, it seems to have been maybe just humanitarian, the fact that they were being persecuted, the fact that they were supporting the oneness of God, maybe that was the religious aspect. Well, not quite oneness of God, but they were not Sorry, yeah. as idolatrous in respect of their religious Relative practices. Relative to the Catholics. <laughs> um, but simultaneously, the Protestants, perhaps an own goal by the Ottomans to some extent, insofar as the Protestants took the doctrine of, um, you know, sola fido, solely by faith. To the next level compared to the yeah. Catholics. Do you know if they sense that this was also politically advantageous against the, the Catholic Empire, or do you feel it was more of a sincere religious uh, affiliation? Well, I think at the political level, you probably would expect all these things to yeah. matter. Yeah. So uh, obviously, it would also it was also politically strategic to uh, destabilize the Spanish Empire mm. by supporting the revolution of the Protestants. Mm. Uh, Probably there was also a sympathy from the Ottomans that they were thinking that these Christians were getting closer to Islam. Yeah. I think they, that they did. Yeah. Uh, so the Sultans... Little did they know. <laughs> <laughs> so the Sultans uh, always, they, they did... I think they always had uh, religion uh, high in their, um, in their uh, esteem. Mm. And uh, there is also correspondence between the Sultan and the French king, where the Sultan would explain about his uh, religious views. And yes, about- I've got that right here, in fact. So it, so there's King Francis I you've written about in your article, in your paper, and he'd become dis- disenchanted with the Catholic Emperor Charles V. And Francis desired to, be- desired to become independent and in 1528 sought an alliance with the famous Ottoman Sultan Suleiman the, Mag- the Magnificent. This resulted in an enduring military cooperation with an intensive exchange of letters. In his correspondence with Francis, Suleiman presented his tolerant policy towards Christians as a matter of imperial pride. The Sultan wrote, quote, Places other than the mosques stay in the hands of Christians, and no one molests those who goes there. They all live peacefully under the wings of our protection, end quote. 
Yeah, it's exactly uh, following the example of the of the Prophet Muhammad and the Caliph Umar, uh, where you where Umar would almost exactly say the same thing. Yeah, mm. so I think these sultans were quite uh, they were quite taking the religious values seriously mm. when it came to tolerance, in particular, of other faiths. So this is so going back to Holland, Netherlands. Uh, I think this is very interesting that ideologically. The idea of tolerance came to Holland, to the Netherlands, through all these discussions that uh, started, you know, in Constantinople, you can say, in Istanbul, where they would say they would ha rather have the Muslim there than the Catholic. Mm -hmm. So this came, this went to Eastern Europe and then to France. And this ideologically, this discussion came there mm -hmm. through the net to the Netherlands. But also there was this, uh, uh, this, uh, focus from the political in the military point of view yeah that there was a real political interest in cooperating with the ottomans yeah mm -hmm. and there was correspondence with the ottomans so uh the idea of tolerance also came to william orange and it's important because this example it's important you mentioned the article because it's william the william of orange in 1579 who succeeded in establishing the first declaration of universal tolerance in europe extending religious freedom not only to other Christians, but also to Jews and even Muslims. So in a way, the birth of religious tolerance, you know, very much is tied in with the founder of the Netherlands in Europe as a whole. In and thus fact. in the West as a whole. And thus in the West as a whole. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, because the, the example that comes before that is 1568, uh, which is the Edict of Torda. Yeah which is uh, seen as the foundation of uh, the uh, religious freedom, religious tolerance in America later on. Yeah. But it only tolerates uh, different Christian sects. Okay. It doesn't even have universal tolerance. So, mm -hmm. so William of Orange was so unique that he just said universal tolerance mm -hmm. and he didn't compromise on it. You can, maybe we can speculate that it was a condition of the support of the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. I, I have to talk to some more Turkish researchers who have access to more communication, maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe they know some more yeah. that uh, the Ottomans said that they have to allow Muslims to live there or something. Yeah, maybe they felt it could be an important uh, trade route. Uh, and the, the significant thing is, is that actually the, you know, is in, in the late 17th century that the William of Orange, 100 years later, he went and he became the king of, of England. Um, uh, you know, so actually you had the transference and then you had, a, you know, the, uh, the, the Nether, king of Netherlands becoming the king of the United Kingdom at that time. And so you may have had the transference of that ethos to some of those principles from the Netherlands into the UK and then through the British Empire, that um, policy effectively became established and ingrained in multiple legal systems across the world. Could be. I mean, yes. you do talk about the influence on, on many other countries in, in Europe, just coming towards the end, we'll briefly cover some of those. Um, Voltaire, for instance, you quote, so this is obviously French Revolution. Yeah, so this is like uh, three centuries later. Yeah. yeah. Two, two or three. He says, let us reach out from our narrow little sphere for a moment and examine what goes on in the rest of the globe. The Turkish prince, for example, rules peacefully over 20 races of different religious conviction. 200,000 Greeks live in Constantinople in perfect safety, and the Mufti himself nominates and presents the Greek patriarch to his emperor. There is even a Roman Catholic patriarch living there. 
The Sultan, the Sultan nominates Catholic bishops to some of the Greek islands with the following words, I commend him to go and reside as bishop on the Isle of Chios in accordance with its ancient customs and vain ceremonies. And he goes on and he says, go to India, to Persia, to Tartary, and you will find the same evidence of tolerance and mutual respect. So, I mean, this is, again, remarkable because people often see, you know, French as some of the luminaries of the slightly later Renaissance of bringing these Western liberal values. But the French luminaries themselves were quoting and taking inspiration from the Muslims. And this is centuries later, so it's not like it's a one small dynasty in the 14th, 15th century that was good. Obviously, this is a thread that's going throughout time. Yes. Yes, we, we've charted it from actually the 12th century to the 16th century to the to, to, to 300 years after in the 18th century. Yeah, so just before the Enlightenment. So the so Enlightenment called, yeah. uh, probably also has a lot of influence from the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. But I didn't research it so deeply. Yeah. But uh, I think you can say that this subject of tolerance is, is comes goes from, you know, the uh, conquering of Jerusalem by yes. Alif Umar towards uh, the, the 18th century Enlightenment. Well, I mean, it, it, mu- it must. I mean, it's... It's it's a fait accompli. You've kind of you've kind of already proved it because you've shown that these uh, revolutionaries from across Europe were citing the Ottomans as their inspiration, and this this exactly this is the Enlightenment as it happened. Uh, yes, a little bit later. So I think it's an extremely important contribution that you've given in this article. And again, we will quote, uh, link this below so people can read things in full. We know that these values were imperfectly instituted in the West, but it did it did you know, get to a level where the West has become in many ways a beacon of, uh, of tolerance of different faiths. And, you know, we, for instance, our family came here uh, at least partly because of, um, and many others from the academic Muslim community. Yeah. They've come here because of the intolerance towards Muslims of other persuasions. Yeah. In it's a strange reversal. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of characteristic across the Muslim world that they have become very intolerant Reminds me of that verse, many verses of the Quran which talks about how the day and the night alternate and the interpretations talk about how times change, <laughs> you know, empires alternate and different peoples rise and fall at different times. What's your kind of, uh, what, how do you kind of view that, that, that's, that, um, that surge of intolerance in the, in the Muslim world? How, did you, how do you kind of square that in your mind? Yeah. So what, uh, what you also uh, notice when you do research, and that's, also the value of uh, PhD, uh, and I think it's also a very Islamic thing, because uh, the um, the students in the uh, in the religious schools in the Muslim world they had to do as their exam they had to do a reli- uh, an investigation into a certain question about religion they had to delve into a, a thesis. thesis a very they had to research it really deeply. Mm. So I think this also this concept of uh, doing this thesis is, comes from the Muslim world. Oh wow! And we right. should talk about this in another program. Yeah. But uh, what I want to say is that if you do research, you know that you cannot really understand something until you really have gone into it. Yeah. Mm. So about how this came to be in the Muslim world that mm. now you have so much intolerance there, uh, I I wouldn't be able to give the answer really well hmm. and the least thing that we can say is that the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him peace prophesied that it would happen mm-hmm. that the muslims would just forget about their values mm. 
and uh, their religion would just become like old clothes that were worn mm. uh, and uh, that they would not understand their religion anymore at all. Mm. And this is definitely a sign of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Mm. But to take it apart and say that which factor led to which. Very difficult, yeah. I don't Unless know. Unless you study in detail. Did no, this... uh, maybe I can say one thing. We can answer from the Amdiya point of view mm -hmm. that Islam, and it also connects to our first part, where we were saying that continuous revelation is actually what Islam is. Mm. And so the, so the true Islam is actually a, a, continuous, um, a, a continuous line of uh, people who are divinely inspired, you know, like the saints and the, uh, the Mojettids. Mm. Uh, so following them would always keep the, the Muslim values alive. Oh, perfect answer. And mm. the greatest one of all these, of all these uh, Mojettids and saints was the Messiah. Mm. Uh, so... Um, when the Muslim world, who is Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the founder, upon him. founder of the Ahmadiyya community, who was born in 1835 and died in 1908. Yeah, so he is the representative of this true Islam, the true rev uh, is a revelation. And, um, but most of the Muslim worlds reje rejected it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when they rejected the, 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 the line of revelation, they also lost their values. Mm. And so we, I think this is probably what the answer will come to in the end. Yes. That the Muslims have, uh, have not followed the Sarat al-Mustaqim mm. and not followed the, the continuous line of revelation by accepting the promised Messiah. Mm. This is a perfect verse which kind of, uh, you know, in a way, uh, represents what you just said very nicely. It's chapter 10, verse 40. It says, Nay, but they have rejected that, the knowledge of which they did not encompass, nor has the true significance thereof yet come to them. In like manner did those before them reject the truth, but see what was the end of those who did wrong. So, in other words, it's tying their rejection of something to the conclusion of their wrongful actions. Because a prophet and a guide comes to correct people on their wrongful actions. But if they reject him, then those wrongful actions persist and get worse until those wrongful actions and wrongful ways actually consume the people who do them in this very life. Yes. Yes. So I think it is a very religious answer to the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But probably it will be the, the, it will ultimately be the answer. Yeah. You might find, you know, uh, these, the, the sub, um, sub-themes in it, mm. you can see what was the influence of um, colonialism or what was, uh, what was the, what was the influence of um, modern philosophy or whatever, nationalism. Mm. But probably in the end, this will probably be the answer. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Abdul Haq, for speaking to us. And, um, we hope to see you again soon. On your next visit to the UK. It was a pleasure and hope to be back. Inshallah. Inshallah.